Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast, where in each episode I speak to senior HR leaders who are pushing a data-driven and digital HR agenda in their organizations that drives business value and improves employee experience. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Madhura Chakrabarti, Global Head of People Insights and Analytics at Syngenta, to talk to us about how Syngenta has successfully upskilled its HR function to be more data fluent. In order for the People Analytics team to be successful, we need the entire function to be data fluent. Now, they don't by data fluent, I don't mean they need to be PhDs in statistics or they all of them need to run regressions, but they should be able to read dashboards. They should be able to think analytically. They should be able to understand what's the difference between data and anecdotal data. We, we may have the best dashboards ever, but if the users are not data-driven or if they're not wanting to see data uh, that is aggregated or that gives different slice and dice than what they already have, no amount of advanced dashboards is going to Move the needle. Along with the importance of helping HR to be more data fluent, Madura and I also delve into the different pathways taken to help create a more data-driven HR function, the impact this has had on Syngenta, and of course Madura's key advice for those embarking on a similar journey. I've been fortunate to know Madura for quite a few years now, so it's really great to finally have her on the podcast. For those of you that have not yet had the opportunity to hear about Madura and her fantastic career background, I started our conversation by asking her to share how she got to where she is today and more about her role at Syngenta. In terms of my background, uh, I lead the People Insights and Analytics team at Syngenta since November 2018, so that makes it uh, almost four years at this point. Uh, before this, I was an industry analyst uh, working for Deloitte, uh, doing industry research and advising clients on how to do people analytics and uh, employee engagement. And before that, I was with uh, Dell Technologies uh, back in Austin, Texas, where uh, I led the employee engagement program. So as you can see, I've toggled quite a bit between external and internal roles, uh, but have always been with people data and employee listening. And I was a psychologist by training. As far as my current team, we sit within the people and org development organization that uh, also looks at other topics like DNI, culture, leadership development, learning for all of uh, Syngenta Group. And Majur, before we, before we dive into the conversation around upskilling HR, I'd love to hear how your background prior to Syngenta helped you as you took on the, the head of people analytics role, because obviously you you kind of analysed the market as a whole when you were at Deloitte, and, and obviously you, you had a background in employee listening and, and, and looking at people data prior to that with Dell as well. I was exposed to a plethora of companies uh, that range from companies that uh, are, are just starting to do people analytics. Uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, uh, we had companies who have done it for almost 10 or 15 years, not under the title of people analytics, but have done exactly the same kind of work for, for a while now. So that exposure really helped me understand what does maturity look like and also the foundational issues that most of the organizations face today. So for example, how do we get data in a single platform or how do we get clean data? So that's still a major challenge that organizations face today. So having having known that and having also 
seen what good looks like, or in other words, out of the possible for some of these very advanced companies that give me a real picture of what the entire spectrum looks like and also place Syngenta where we are across the entire spectrum and uh, have a fairly good idea of what lies ahead of us in order to go up the maturity model. So that's how I think it helped me. You've done a lot of work at Syngenta on upskilling HR in in data literacy and analytical thinking. Why do you think it's important that both HR leaders and HR professionals are data fluent for for themselves and the organisation? David, you would agree that most organizations are undergoing a digital transformation, right? Uh, I I, I haven't met a company in the last five years that isn't going through one. Our business or our company is no exception. We are investing more and more in data and digital tools, and I'm talking about the business units specifically, that will eventually help our farmers and growers and distributors across the world make better decisions. So it's more about helping them to make the right decision around soil, around their crops, about climate, more than just bringing the right product to them. So if the organization is getting to a point where we are using data and technology to help farmers make better decisions, HR as a function cannot lag behind. And if we were to operate in the same ecosystem, we cannot be a function where we are still not data literate or we are not using data in our day-to-day work or we cannot speak the language. So in order to be in the same system and, and operate hand in hand, HR has to be data fluent. So that's number one. Also, just from the HR's HR functions perspective, the tools and technologies that we are investing in, we cannot get the full value unless we, the users, are data savvy or we are able to think analytically. So in order to get the the, the full ROI of all the tools and technology that we are investing in, we absolutely have to invest in the users being more data fluent. And then third, it really helps HR professionals be part of strategic discussions because in one of the analyses we ran a a year, year and a half back, uh, it was about understanding the, the predictors of sales performance. So what predicts better sales performance, but mostly people related predictors and what we found was when we were presenting it to the business team, our HRBP sent us separate message later saying, you know, this was the first time that we were part of a strategic sales discussion as HR. So if we want to do that more and more, we we, we should be data fluent and we are, a, we are in a position where we offer unique insights based on the people data that we have access to. Why is it so important as, as a people analytics leader or people analytics professional listening to this that we help our colleagues in HR become more, more comfortable with data? I fundamentally believe that the success of people insights and analytics team lies or depends on data literacy of the entire function. And if you remember, David, the, the industry study that we published a few years back at Deloitte uh, also said the same thing, that in order for the people analytics team to be successful, we need the entire function to be data fluent. Now, they don't by data fluent, I don't mean they need to be PhDs in statistics or they all of them need to run regressions, but they should be able to read dashboards. They should be able to think analytically. They should be able to understand what's the difference between data and anecdotal data. Um, so, for example, time and again, we have found that you know we have we, we may have the best dashboards ever, but if the users are not data driven or if they're not wanting to see data uh, that is aggregated or that gives different slice and dice than what 
they already have. We are not going to be successful if we don't have users going to the dashboards. No amount of advanced dashboards is going to move the needle, right? So that's one. The other thing that we keep encountering is when HRBPs especially are data-driven, they make the connection between business problems and the people insights and analytics team centrally. So for example, year back, we had this particular instance where um, there was a need to study collaboration patterns. And the HRBP at that point for that business unit actually said, so how are we going to measure if we are making, if we are uh, successfully collaborating or not? For that, we need real data um, instead of, you know, just a few leaders saying that, yeah, I think people are collaborating. So that HRBP particularly formed the connection between our team and the business unit, and that led to an org network analysis pilot study that we did with the business unit. So it's really critical that HRBPs, especially whole HR function, ideally, are data literate to form those important connections and raise the right questions in the strategic discussions happening in the businesses. Majura, circling back to your recent project in, in Upskilling HR, talk us through how you went about, because I think you, you took a data-driven approach, which is fantastic, um, how you went about gathering the data to help drive your decision into, into how you would best approach the, this project. You know, what methods did, did you use to, to help you? Uh, when we started with the project, we realized that it's really important to listen to the users of the product that we are building, or rather future users of the product that we are building, and also listen to external practitioners who have been on this journey before, uh, because clearly we weren't doing something for the first time. So let's learn from people who have done this, who have done this well, who have learned from it. So we did some series of qualitative listening, and we call them YAM jams. In other words, jam sessions in, in the Yammer platform with the HR population where we asked three questions. Um, and we said, what does data fluency mean to you? And uh, actually, we also asked a fourth question, uh, which was a more generic one. How do you like to learn? So that guided us to design the end product. And, and, and I can talk more about that. It was really important that we listen. I, I want to emphasize that. Um, again, looking back, ideally, I would have liked to go out with a survey uh, where we had some quantitative data and then coupled it with qualitative data. But at that point, there was a lot going on. And due to some other constraints that we had, we decided survey wasn't the best thing at that point. The qualitative listening actually gave us quite a lot of rich insights. So I don't think we compromised a lot there. I'd love to I'd love to understand, Majura, from that analysis that you did, you know, what did you find that HR professionals wanted to learn and, and what actions did you then take to, to help upskill your, your colleagues? When we analyzed all the responses that came in across those three or four questions that we asked, uh, there were three themes that emerged very quickly and, and very clearly. The first one was a set of user needs that said, I want to understand data enough to, to be able to see trends, gaps, issues from a higher level. So these are people who, who are interested, but they only want to see trends. They only want to understand what the data is already showing them. The second bucket was around users saying that I want to access relevant data. So I want to know the sources. I want to make sure that I know how to download it and do some meaningful analytics, but I don't want to spend ages on it. So these are people who don't really want to go deep. The third bucket was around people who wanted to gain in-depth expertise. So these are you know, future people analytics leaders or people analytics team members. Uh, to be fully transparent, we didn't have a whole lot of 
people or responses in this bucket. As the leader of people analytics, I kind of force fed this a little bit because I, I also have to think about the future and the succession and how do we keep up this work and the momentum. When they were asked how they learn or how they prefer to learn, there were some very clear themes emerging there as well. So a bunch of people said, I learn best through actual experience or project. So you put me on a project, I learn, uh, it requires me to do new things. That's how I learn the best. Others said, you know, when I have a community or like-minded people or I have a learning buddy, that's when I learn best. Subsequently, we went ahead and built the first two pathways in-house in the learning platform that was recently launched in our organization back then. Uh, and we addressed the first two buckets. So the very first bucket that said, I, I just want to understand data enough. We called it the information consumer. And the second one uh, that said, I want to get my hands dirty a little bit, uh, want to source data and analyze that a little bit. We called it the insights creator. And each pathway contains a specific set of topics as per the user needs. And uh, more importantly, it contains a mix of different learning activities. So there are e-learning modules. Uh, there are case studies of advanced analytics work that we have done within the company at Syngenta and uh, that have led to important decisions or important changes across the organization. We have some introduction videos to our HR dashboards there. We also have the escape room game listed where people can sign up. And that's actually an experiential uh, game uh, in person or virtual at this point. Uh, we just released a virtual version of that. So as you can see, it was really important that we use different methods or uh, of learning to keep people's attention because that's what people said. They learn differently. So we couldn't have just one type of materials up there we were we were very conscious of that what else has that that helped you develop i understand for example you've developed a, a community of practice as well I'd, I'd love i mean and again for those listeners that don't understand what a community of practice is if you could describe that and and, and how you've you've embedded that from a people analytics perspective in to a wider community it's not just people analytics professionals at syngenta Right. And I, I don't think I mentioned that the community of practice is also a very important element of one of the pathways. So we said, if you're interested, sign up. And very honestly, when we put this together, we had a description of what we envisioned this community of practice to be doing. And we had a you know nice picture around it. And I said, sign up here. Um, it, it was one of the sections in the first pathway. That was last year. And now we have 112 members. So we went from zero to 112 in a year's time. And this is about forming a community of like-minded people. So you don't have to be in HR. You don't have to be a people analytics expert. But as long as you are interested in data and analytics and how to use them in a meaningful way, you can be part of the community. And uh, it does a couple of things. One is people are free to post and discuss it on the on the virtual platform, the learning platform that we have, and we we see some quite some amount of activity there. But we also have a once in six weeks virtual session, the community of practice session, and uh, I make sure that we have a very well crafted agenda where we either invite somebody from HR, from outside HR, from outside Syngenta to talk about data related topic, and it doesn't have to be an analysis that you have done. So for example, uh, a couple of sessions back, we invited our chief data scientist from information, our, our IT uh, function. And he talked about uh, what does it mean to have a data curiosity mindset? And what does it mean to hire for uh, data curiosity mindset? And it, it is about 
generally uplifting the awareness around data, feeling more excited about it and exchanging things that you have done, blockers that you have faced within the company and seeing if if anybody else has solved this problem. Uh, so that way, we have gained a lot of momentum uh, in the community of practice. And I would highly recommend forming one if you haven't for those of uh, us who are on the same journey. And and I guess what it, it also does, again, speaking to other companies that have done this, you almost create those change agents um, who are part of the uh, community of practice that, that, that advocate um, their data-driven approach and people analytics with their colleagues. And, 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 and that's, I guess, an, another reason why community of practices tend to grow. And it's a great opportunity, I guess, for you as a team to, to hear some of the challenges that people are facing, maybe in implementing some of the insights from people analytics, but also some of the challenges that, they, that, that the business is facing as well. So potentially it provides a, a vehicle for identifying work for, for, for the team as well, I guess. And that just triggered another uh, speaker we had from a business unit who was using our uh, learning platform dashboard. So the, the learning platform we have, we also have a dashboard saying how many users, from which business units, uh, what are the top skills people are clicking or, or uh, signing up for, uh, what is the mode of learning that people are um, using the most. And this is across all materials in the learning platform, so not just the data fluency pathways. And you know, instead of HR or our organization talking time and again about we have launched a new learning pathway or, or a learning platform and you can go in there, you can learn so many things. Suddenly, somebody from the business talking about how they use the learning dashboard and to, to gain momentum, to encourage people to go into the platform and uh, learn new skills, that made a lot of difference. It generated a lot of questions and um, it was it was almost like a marketing activity for the learning platform. It's testament to the the upskilling program that you put in place that people are intrigued, and I guess they these are people that fall into the second and third categories, uh, as you said, from from when you identify what what users were, were looking for, that they wanted to be part of this community of practice. They wanted to continue their learning. They wanted to actually use some of these skills within their day to day work as well. In just a few moments. I will be continuing my conversation with Majura and how she upskills Syngenta's HR function on data literacy. But before we go back, let me take this short break as an opportunity to talk to you about the sponsors of this season's podcast. ChartHop is transforming the way companies manage and support their people. Because like a giant alien robot shifting into a semi-truck, when it comes to how you view your people, there's more than meets the eye. Delivering a fresh take on people analytics that's out of this world, ChartHop seamlessly consolidates and visualizes disparate sources of people data into one powerful platform, creating more informed, empowered, and connected organizations. From executives to individual contributors to every employee in between, ChartHop is designed for everyone in the organization. Head to charthop.com forward slash digital HR to learn how HR leaders are leveraging ChartHop. That's charthop.com forward slash digital HR. Welcome back to my conversation with Majura Chakrabarti. In this section of the interview, we take a closer look into the impact upskilling HR has had on the function and the organization as a whole. 
and Majura's top pieces of advice to help set you up for success on your journey towards upskilling HR. So, so two years on from when you first started the project, Majura, I'd really, and I'm sure listeners would be as well, really interested um, in learning you know, what the impact has, has the project had uh, for driving for your team, for the HR function and Syngenta uh, as well. A few things. One is we are definitely seeing higher usage of the dashboards, the, the HR dashboards that we have. And that you know, makes me really happy. People are actually curious about data. They're going in, trying to see uh, what's out there. Uh, uh, and, and we have done some sort of usage type analysis where we have seen there are some people who just, you know, go in and, uh, you know, be there for like five or 10 minutes. And that's about it. Uh, and then there are these uh, super users who go in time and again for, you know, longer periods of time. Uh, so clearly, People are going there for uh, different users or, or maybe, you know, somebody just needs one uh, data point to look at, to include in a PowerPoint deck that they're working on. So they're probably just going in, getting the gender ratio, then coming out of the, of the dashboard. And then there are other people who are going in to actually present about the latest workforce demographics to their leadership team. So they're probably the ones who are staying there for longer time. Uh, what that also means is we have a m- much higher number of uh, suggestions to improve the dashboard uh, because people never seem to be happy with the metrics we have. There, We are constantly getting suggestions around, I think you should include this, I think you're, you should include that, uh, which is good. I mean, it's a good problem to have uh, rather than uh, silence because that just means nobody's using it. The second uh, impact, so to say, is we, we definitely see data and analytics as a work stream in all the critical initiatives that we are launching. So be it a new learning platform or be it uh, some major transformation work that's happening, there is a people data and analytics work stream that's part of the entire uh, project or initiative right at the beginning. So it's not an afterthought. It's not something that you put together after the, the, the initiative or program has been launched. I think that's a change. And again, it's a bit anecdotal. I, I don't think I can cite data here, but it's definitely something that we are noticing over the last two years. Um, and the nature of the questions that are coming to us have fundamentally changed for sure. So, um, you know, from things like, you know, what's the headcount and how do I download a headcount report to two years later saying, how can we measure collaboration? How can we make sure that uh, certain teams whom we are placing next to each other are more engaged and collaborating than when they were placed differently. So the, the nature of the questions have changed. And I think it, it has to do with the education and the awareness that we've been somewhat able to build. Not saying we have cracked it. Uh, the, the, we, we still have a lot more to do. Uh, but But just around measuring the impact, we are spending some dedicated time and effort this time or uh, this year to measure the impact in a better way. Because... Uh, uh, we have a lot of anecdotal type data saying, you know, nature of questions are different. We have work streams around data, but we need more concrete data to show what impact uh, it's having. So we are we are working on that. We just launched a self-assessment pre and post uh, for data fluency and um, we're yet to get results. But hopefully that'll that'll shed some light on uh, we've been able to create some impact and uplifting people in the skill. So let's transition now from looking at from a from an organization perspective and, and look at the people that you know are actually learning, you know, some of your colleagues in, in HR. Um, have you found certain pathways to be more popular than others? Or, or or have you found that actually learning new pathways needed to be introduced for certain groups? And if so, what are they? I 
would say not entirely about new pathways uh, that uh, we felt we need to build, but what we did find a couple of things. One is certain learning experiences or certain elements of those pathways are by far more popular than the other one. So for example, the community of practice just took on a life of its own and is really popular. Whereas when we look at some of the other elements, like a a few e-learning modules, or even um, some of the internal work that we showcase in the pathways, we don't see a lot of views, a lot of clicks there. So even so that's another message to people who are on a similar journey is yes we build a pathway but we have to be ready that certain elements of the pathway are going to be more successful than others um and then the other feedback we also got was we need to find connections between pathways and i don't see it say just as uh between the two pathways that we have launched within data fluency but we have other pathways around uh, agile, uh, digital, and data, and uh, things like technology savviness. And there are a lot of common elements to it. Uh, so if there's a way we can either advertise um, other pathways, if you want to learn more or learn more in a slightly different context, make sure you um, click on this pathway. And if in, if we can connect these learning experiences uh, other users said it'll make for a richer uh, experience uh, at, at their end. So those are kind of two things, two feedback uh, we have gathered. Actually, interesting maybe for some people listening, is this something you're doing as a team or is it with the, with the support and participation of your colleagues in, in learning at Syngenta? A very interesting question. And maybe I this is a good point to uh, clarify that. So definitely my team is involved in creating the content uh, for the two data fluency pathways. So that was completely done in-house. But in terms of actually putting it on the platform, which we did as well, but that required heavy partnership with the learning team. It just so happens that it sits within the same larger organization within HR. So it, it it didn't feel like that that far away. But what I should also mention is this this entire initiative started around a bigger initiative across HR in uh, at Syngenta, where we said, you know, what are the top skills that we want our HR function, uh, our, our HR colleagues to upskill themselves on in the next uh, two to three years? And there was a six months of exercise around external and internal research where we looked at what are those seven to 10 skills that we should target? We ultimately came up and finalized a list of six and data fluency was one of them. We of course had each one one lead for each of these six capabilities and we worked in partnership very, very closely for a year before we launched the first pathway. Sort of more general reflection now, you know, for listeners out there, you know, maybe there's some the CHROs or heads of people analytics or other people, um, what did you learn from this project and um, what would your key advice be to, to help them set themselves up for success? Two things. One is listen to the users first. When we first talked about this initiative and and, and talking and, and decided we we're going to you know, do something about it, data fluency is one of the six skills that have been finalized. My gut reaction, if I'm fully transparent, was, oh, I know how to build one uh, and I'm just going to build the content because I know exactly what people are looking for or what they should be looking for. But once we did the listening exercise, the three themes that clearly emerged was so eye-opening and was so useful to us for us to build the, the, the subsequent pathways. 
for sure we the people analytics team wouldn't uh, have been able to come up with them on their own. So listen to your users first. People who are going to use or, or learn uh, should tell you what are they learning for. It's okay to add your elements, but you should first listen to them to get a, a foundational understanding. Uh, and then later, the messaging also becomes easier. Um, you can say, this is what you told us, and therefore we have built this for you, rather than, you know, here's what we think you should learn about. So that's number one. The second is, if if there's a way to tie the data fluency work uh, with some larger upskilling initiative in the organization. For us, we were lucky that there was a larger capability uh, work going on, and we could, this was part of that bigger uh, capability stream, or rather, you know, uh, it was one of the six. Uh, but even otherwise, if this wasn't in place, we probably would have partnered with the enterprise-wide data analytics team because there's a lot of upskilling effort happening there as well. So we probably would have tagged on to their offering and said, by the way, if you're in HR, make sure uh, you are aware of all these upskilling efforts and, and pathways that we are learning. So it always helps to tie it with a bigger initiative in the organization rather than just trying to do it on your own for, for data fluency in HR. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, more experience led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Syngenta's Head of People Analytics, Madhura Chakrabarti. So far, we have gained some really valuable insights into how to successfully create a more data-fluent HR function. Now, we turn our focus to a topic just as important, how Syngenta's People Analytics team itself is continuously learning and upskilling uh, in order to keep on top of what is such a fast-developing discipline. We've spoken about the initiatives that, that you took to, to help upskill HR in data literacy and analytical thinking, data fluency, I think, as, as, as a skill that you identified. What would also be interesting, I think, to understand more about is how you and, and your team of people analytics professionals are, are continuously upskilling themselves as well. Because let's be honest, in, four, in the four years, you'll, you'll, you'll see that the, the field has really, really moved, isn't it? So I'd love to, love to hear a little bit about that. I will start by saying uh, what I briefly described before was building the pathway itself was such a learning for us, uh, just learning the technology. And yes, it wasn't learning new statistical methods or you know not learning another uh, language like Python or R, but it is about how do you put the curated content in a platform that people can then access. So that itself was a, was a technology upskilling for us. The second one was we hold a monthly development session for the people analytics team where just my team members, me and my direct reports, we get together and we have a dedicated topic that we try to address for two or three sessions so over a period of three months, let's say. So for now, it's text analytics. Uh, we have realized that we are just 
sitting on a lot of text, uh, not doing much. Uh, so how can we upskill ourselves? So that's something that we are currently focusing on. Or sometimes we discuss one-off things like if there's a recent report from, let's say, Insight 222 around the latest state of people analytics, we discuss the report. We, we assign a team member or two to read the report, summarize, and that person or those two persons come and present. And then we have a targeted discussion around where are we, are we lagging behind in certain aspects? Are we ahead of the curve in certain aspects? So more, you know, dissect the report and compare our teams uh, to other, uh, our team to other organizations. So uh, that's the monthly development session. Uh, I also make sure that we have external speakers in our quarterly team meetings. So, so these are meetings that we have every quarter where we take two days, you know, we call it offsite, but now post-pandemic, that term doesn't have any meaning. So uh, it's, it's really just, just talking about a roadmap and vision in the coming months. How have we done? Where are the blockers? So not talking about the operational day-to-day stuff. So in those meetings, we have one external speaker, and I make it very clear that it has to be from outside HR, but related to data. Uh, so that it just sparks new thinking for us. And, you know, in our company, we have agronomists, we have data scientists, so there's no dearth of these people outside HR. Um, so that's a great source of learning. And then the community of practice, what people share, the discussions happen, that is a great learning source for us as well. What I'd love to hear, Majura, you, you've, been in the, you've been in the field for, for, for a while, you analysed the field when you were at Deloitte, you've been a people analytics leader for four years. If you reflect on those four years, what has surprised you about the growth in in people analytics? You know, what are the what are the main things that you've seen both as a practitioner leading a team within Syngenta, but also obviously being part of a community of people analytics professionals as well? A very interesting question. I, I think we can spend an hour or have a separate <laughs> podcast just on this. So I'll try to limit my thoughts and, and what I say. I think just the, the plethora of platforms that have emerged to solve different needs, especially in the employee listening uh, area. And uh, that's where I feel very passionate about. My work intersects a lot with that. Um, I, I grew up in that space, so to say. In in terms of, you know, just purely survey vendors, which is how the field started 10, you know, whatever, 15 years back, to this entire ecosystem, just that entire spectrum has exploded. And I know there's, there's a lot of consolidation that has happened as well in this space, but I feel like that's the hardest to keep up with. Um, every time I feel I have a fairly good understanding of the the vendors and the technology operating in this space, of course, there are five more that I didn't hear about uh, and, and, I, and I see them in a, at a conference. So at the same time, the flip side that also surprises me is the dearth of integrating mechanisms. So we still struggle with data being in disparate systems. And I feel by now we should have solved it. I know some companies have through data lakes. But uh, that is some that that remains a pain point. And unless we are able to get to a point where there's a solid uh, solution for having all the data, I'm, I'm not even talking about the business data. Let's have all HR data together. Even that seems to be such a, a, a futuristic vision. Uh, that's where I, I'm also surprised that we haven't seen a lot of uh, those those mechanisms or innovations happen that will easily uh, integrate data and make it easy for the users. Uh, I, I know there are some, so I'm not saying there's absolutely nothing there, but I, I would have liked to see more. So that has surprised me as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I mean, you know, certainly there's there's more awareness, more excitement about people analytics. Obviously, lots of examples of where 
people analytics has added significant value to the business and to the workforce. I mean, we've really seen that over the last two and a half years with the pandemic, I think. Companies listening to their employees more, not just through surveys as well, but looking at uh, some of the other means, looking at some of the collaboration data you mentioned at the start as well to, to really understand things like well-being, collaboration, um, productivity. You know, it's 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 really interesting how the field has has developed. So um, so so yeah, it's uh, and and actually more data, more more skills leads us quite nicely to the final question today, which is a question we're asking everyone um, on this series. And I know from talking to you before, something you feel uh, quite passionate about. What, what do you think the role of ethics is in in, in HR and people analytics? Uh, I think I'm going to give a bit of a controversial answer here uh, because, you know, the, the reality is it's of paramount importance, right? It's, it's, that's the short answer. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of leaders will, uh, can talk hours and hours on it. Um, but, what I've personally felt, and, and it's also one of my pet peeves, is we should not let it be a blocker in the way of doing meaningful and analytics work. And the reason I say that is the number of times I've heard people in the company, and not, not I'm not just talking about this company, even, even previous companies I've worked for or clients that I've advised, um, number of times I've heard something like, oh, we can't do that because uh, of GDPR. And then you start probing, what about GDPR, right? Um, and then you soon soon get to a point where you realize between the you know fear of lawsuits and ignorance, so to say, or you know not completely understanding what GDPR allows and does not allow, uh, people often use that as a crutch to you know let's just let's just not go there because uh, that's dangerous or or just fear of data, and it's it's very important for us people analytics professionals to challenge that. And constantly ask and, and educate people that, you know, yes, GDPR puts a lot of guardrails, but it doesn't really prohibit us from analyzing data that we need to analyze. And if it if it gets if it helps us have better insights, do things differently and enables and, and as long as we share results in an aggregate way, as long as it's legitimate interest, as long as we inform the people about who's, whom we are uh, analyzing we are we are good to go for most uh, of these instances so i constantly challenge my team and even you know the larger function to not use gdpr or when people are using really probe further what about gdpr what do you think is prohibited and then oftentimes the answer is no it doesn't it doesn't prohibit as long as we check these other boxes so so yes ethics is important yes following gdpr and uh, you know doing what's legally right all of that is important but we should also be bold enough to challenge and, and and make sure that it's not a blocker in terms of doing meaningful good work. Yeah, it's a really good point. And a, and a nice way to to end our discussion, Majura, it's always fascinating talking to you and learning about the, the work that you and the team are doing at, at Syngenta. Thank you for being a guest on the, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more about uh, your work? Sure. Uh, LinkedIn would be the best way. And then uh, we can always chat later if we need a deeper discussion. And thank you, David. For, uh, really honoured to be on your podcast. So thank you. The honour is all mine uh, and, and ours at, at my HR Future. So th- thank you, Majura. So look forward to seeing you probably at a conference or, or an Insight 222 meeting soon. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. 
My thanks again to the wonderful Madhura Chakrabarti for joining us today. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter too by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week where I'll be talking to Tiffany Munro, the Chief Human Resources Officer at H&R Block, about the key role HR has played in the company's transformation. Until then, stay safe, stay well and take care.